We're reading together in a book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 18. Um, if you have, uh, if you're using the Church Bible, uh, it's found on page 18, uh, Genesis 18, and we commence our reading at verse uh, 16. Now, the context here is that Abraham has had three uh, unannounced and unexpected visitors. They are visitors from heaven itself, uh, and uh, two of them are angels, chapter 19, verse 1, and the third is the Lord Jesus, having taken a human body to himself, the Son of God, taking flesh before um, he was born of Mary. And so we read now uh, chapter 16 of the three. They have been with Abraham. Uh, He has entertained them. And while uh, they have been eating, they have spoken to him about the son that um, the Lord has promised to him and that Sarah has refused to believe will be born to them. So now we read verse 16. When the men got up to leave, they looked down towards Sodom And Abraham walked along with them to see them on their way. Then the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation, and all nations on earth will be blessed through him. For I have chosen him, so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. (coughs) Then the Lord said, The outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sin so grievous that I will go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I will know. The men turned away and went towards Sodom. But Abram remained standing before the Lord. Then Abram approached him and said, Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are fifty righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of the fifty righteous people in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked treating the righteous and the wicked alike, far be it from you. Will not the judge of all the earth do right? The Lord said, If I find fifty righteous people in the city of Sodom, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Then Abraham spoke up again, Now that I have been so bold as to speak to the Lord, though I am nothing but dust and ashes, What if the number of the righteous is five less than fifty? Will you destroy the whole city because of five people? If I find forty-five there, he said, I will not destroy it. Once again he spoke to him, What if only forty are found there? He answered, I will not do it if I find uh, forty there. Then he said, May the Lord not be angry, but let me speak. 
What if only thirty can be found there? He answered, I will not do it if I find thirty there. Abraham said, Now that I have been so bold as to speak to the Lord, what if only twenty can be found there? He said, For the sake of twenty, I will not destroy it. Then he said, May the Lord not be angry, but let me speak just once more. What if only ten can be found there? He answered, For the sake of ten, I will not destroy it. When the Lord had finished speaking with Abraham, he left, and Abraham returned home. Amen. And that's the boys and girls. We have reached uh, Genesis chapter 18 in our study of the life of Abraham. This man who lived 4,000 years ago, but who, like us, was called to live by faith in Jesus Christ, the Christ whom he believed would come, and the Christ whom we know has come, and has lived and died and returned again to heaven having saved his people. And here now in our study this morning, we come to Genesis chapter 18, uh, and we're picking up our study at verse 16, and going through to verse 33. In the previous section, the Lord uh, has confronted and corrected the unbelief of Sarah, so that She is now ready and waiting and expecting for a son to be born to her and to Abram in their old age. But that's not the only reason why these three unannounced and unexpected visitors have come to Abram's tent. In verses 17 to 33 we discover that they have another reason. The Lord wants to speak to Abraham about Sodom and Gomorrah. And in fact, the other cities, now there were five of them altogether, known as the cities of the plain, and we read about them in Genesis chapter 14, and again in Genesis chapter 19. These cities are close to where Abraham lives. These cities are the places to which Lot Abram's nephew, who himself, Lot, is a believer. And he has gone there to live. And these cities, we will see, are in danger of an imminent judgment at the hand of the Lord because of their prevailing wickedness. Now the question we want to ask this morning is, why does the Lord of glory the Lord of all eternity, the Lord of heaven, come down to Abraham and grant this man such uh, unimaginable privileges. Why does he appear in space and time to speak to Abraham? How is it that a livestock farmer can have such an experience? 
Well, interestingly, in the rest of Scripture, Abraham is referred to as the friend of God. The friend of God. Isaiah chapter 41 and 2 Chronicles 20. And then as you see in your order of service, the memory verse for today, James 2 and verse 23. Abraham believed God and he was called the friend of God. The Bible teaches us that by nature, because of our sinful disposition that is, and with which we are born, we are automatically and we are necessarily the enemies of God. And so was Abram at one time. We read later on in Deuteronomy and in Joshua how this man at one time lived in Ur of the Chaldeans and worshipped the sun and the moon. So how did he become the friend of God if he were born and lived as the enemy of God? Well, it is through faith in Jesus, whom the New Testament describes as the friend of sinners. And so this morning, we want to look at this section from that perspective. Abraham is the friend of God. And if you and I this morning, through faith in Christ, are saved, you and I are the friends of God. That's how he looks upon us. And we will see later how Jesus spoke to his disciples, calling them friends, because they trusted in him. So, if Abraham was the friend of God, through faith in Christ, and you and I are, then what will be the marks of our lives? What will be the characteristics? How will we differ from the people that you live next door to, or work with? Or boys and girls sit beside in school or play with in the playground. Well, let's see, first of all, how the friend of God and the uh, headings are in the order of service, the rear side. The friend of God keeps the way of the Lord. The friend of God keeps the way of the Lord. That's what we read in verse 19. I have chosen Abraham that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord. That's what Abraham does himself. And that's what the Lord wants him to do and wants him to accomplish through his life. The world is a big place. It consists of continents and nations and cities and towns and villages Communities, families, individuals. And we know the world is a big place um, because of modern methods of travel and communication. Within 24 hours we can travel to the ends of the earth. In a matter of seconds we can speak to someone in the farthest place using Skype or a mobile phone. For Abraham, the world would have been and would have appeared a much smaller place. Much more local. He spent the first 75 years of his life at Ur. In ancient Babylon, modern day Iraq. 
Then he moved to live in Canaan on the Mediterranean coast and for a brief time he had a spell in Egypt. That was the extent of his knowledge of the ancient world. Asia and a little bit of Africa. He would have known a very small part of an equally big world. The Lord reveals to Abraham, however, that as his friend, Abraham is going to impact the whole world. He's a small knowledge of the world and a small experience of the world, but he is going to impact the whole world for generations to come. In fact, right down to the end of time. Look at what it says in verse 18. Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation and all nations on the earth, the whole world, will be blessed through him. Now that seems a staggering thing to Abraham at this point because Abraham is a hundred years of age. Yes, he's relatively rich. He has hundreds of people living under his leadership and within his household. Uh, He has at least 318 men working for him. You think about their wives, think about their children. This is a community maybe of 1,000, 1,500, 2,000 people. But it's only a drop in a bucket compared to the size of the world. And Abraham, in the midst of all these people, he doesn't have a single son through his marriage to Sarah. So how will he become a great and powerful nation? How will he, a solitary individual without a son, impact all the nations of the earth through his life? Is this man going to make some great discovery in agriculture or in science or in medicine or in technology that's going to benefit the rest of humanity for the rest of time? Now this man's great discovery and this man's great legacy is going to be in the realm of faith. In the realm of holiness. In the realm of godliness. Serving God himself. And teaching his household. Teaching the generation to come to serve the Lord. What this man does in his family. What this man does with his household. How he lives for God and for Christ before them. How he himself keeps the way of the Lord. That is the way in which he's going to influence the world for all time. Because this man keeps the way of the Lord. And trains his household, particularly his son Isaac who will be born, to keep the way of the Lord. Then this Man's house is going to expand into a nation. And Israel will impact world powers. 
ancient Babylon, ancient Assyria, ancient Persia, ancient Greece, ancient Rome. And then the Son of God will be born to this man's descendants. Jesus will come in the line of Abraham and Sarah. And the gospel of Jesus will spread through all the nations of the earth. And it all flows from this statement about this man 4,000 years ago. A man who kept the way of the Lord and a man who trained his household after him to keep the way of the Lord. Impacting the whole world forever. That's an incredible thought, isn't it? That's an awesome thing. Man who lived 4,000 years ago, still impacting all the nations of the earth today. Because he kept the way of the Lord. Do you want to make your impact on the world? Do you want to leave a legacy to generations to come? Do you want to do something that will be a blessing to people to the end of time and beyond into eternity? How can you do it? Is it by rising to the top of your career? Is it by becoming a powerful political figure? Do you need to become an inventor and uh, invent some gadget that will make um, life easier for mankind? Do you need to discover some medicine? Well, I don't want to limit you this morning. Or I don't want to insult you this morning. But I don't think many of us in this room will impact the world in any of those ways. But there is a way. There is a way. Set before all of us. Open to each one of us. By which you can impact the world. You can impact your children. You can impact your household. And your community. And the place where you work. And this town. And a way, way beyond your day and generation. How? By keeping the way of the Lord. And what does it mean to keep the way of the Lord? Well, for Abraham it meant doing what is right and just, we're told, verse 19. Literally it is by doing righteousness and justice. And we should think of righteousness as the vertical. The way he lived before God, loving the law of the Lord, delighting in it in his heart. And so there was a righteousness about this man. And then there was a justice about this man. Here's the horizontal. Here's how he dealt with his wife. Here's how he dealt with his children. Here's how he dealt with his servants. Injustice. And this is how you will impact 
the world. <coughs> by keeping the way of the Lord. By living by faith in Christ. And keeping the law of the Lord. The commandments and delighting in those. And working those out in your life. So people see, here's a man, here's a woman. And they're of, they, 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 the Lord comes first in their lives. And this day and this worship is important to them. And here's a man who honours his, his father and mother and cares for his children. Here's a man uh, and here's a woman who are in earnest about being faithful to each other in marriage. Here's a man and here's a woman who don't live for the things of this world. They're not covetous. And this is how you and I will impact our children and our neighbours and our work colleagues, the mums you meet at the school gate, the lads you play football with by keeping the way of the Lord. Our world tells us today that to make an impact you have to achieve in the workplace. You have to prosper materially. You have to succeed. And the reality is ten years after you retire nobody will remember you. Recently I was in the company of someone who was a leading anaesthetist in the Royal Victoria Hospital and spent all his career in that hospital and he was at the cutting edge of uh, anaesthetics and he said in my hearing ten years after my retirement I walk into the Royal Victoria Hospital and no one recognises me I know no one there no one rushes to greet him no one remembers his contribution of 40 years to medicine but here's Abraham, a Bedouin farmer, 4,000 years ago. And he's known, and he's remembered, and he's loved, and he's honoured throughout the world. Why? Because he kept the way of the Lord. And if we want to make an impact in the world that will benefit humanity, benefit our family, benefit our church, benefit our community, then we need to learn, as Abraham did, to keep the way of the Lord in righteousness as we live before him and in justice as we deal with others. That's the first thing. Then let's see the secondly here. The friend of God discovers the will of the Lord. The friend of God discovers the will of the Lord. <coughs> As Abraham accompanies these three unannounced and unexpected visitors on their way, the Lord Jesus speaks to Abraham as the friend of God for a second time. Look at verse 17. Then the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham? What I am about to do. There's something the Lord is going to do. Among men. Something significant. 
something that he believes he needs to communicate to Abraham because Abraham is the friend of God. This is going to impact Abraham and his community and the world around him. And so the Lord purposes to tell Abraham. And Abraham is the friend of God, discovers the will of God. Look at verse 20. The Lord said, the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great, and their sins so grievous, that I will go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I will know. The Lord whom Abraham trusts and serves is not just concerned about righteousness and justice in Abraham's individual life and in his household. The Lord observes what happens in communities and in cities. He is God over all. He is creator of all. He is judge of all. Even those who don't acknowledge him. Sodom and Gomorrah. Those who don't keep his way. Are accountable to the Lord. If you're not a Christian this morning. If you're not keeping the way of the Lord in repentance and faith. You cannot dismiss the Lord as an irrelevance. You cannot say, well, who God is or whether there is a God and if there is a God, what he's like. It doesn't affect me. It does. It does. And we need to be able to say that to others who try to dismiss God. Because they don't want to have anything to do with them. They are still accountable to the Lord God. Just as the Lord took note of Abram's life of faith. The Solomon Gomorrah's life of wickedness. Examining it. So the Lord is observing every human life. And he's examining it in the scales. And he's drawing conclusions. From words and actions and lifestyles that people follow. And he's doing it also with regard to communities. The Lord takes note, he's interested in what happens in our town today. In our cities. In our nation. He hears an outcry coming up from Sodom against that city. They will not turn a blind eye to its wickedness. That's true of our nation today. Many live as if that's not true. But it is the reality. The Lord God takes note of what happens in our nation today. Doesn't turn a blind eye to it. Doesn't turn a deaf ear to it. To the outcry of individuals. Whose lives are made miserable and wretched by the sinful acts of others. In Solomon Gomorrah, as we shall see the next time, 
the national sin, the great um, urban sin, was homosexuality. Exchanging the relationship of man for a woman, which is natural and God-ordained, for the unnatural relationship of two men with each other, two women with each other. And this is causing pain and suffering. The two visitors, the two angels who go down, not even they are safe. And the Lord's heard the outcry. And there is an outcry that's going up from our nation today. Against homosexuality because it is becoming very aggressive. And it's very in your face. And it will seek and it's demanding everything that heterosexuality and marriage has. Wants to be recognised. Wants to be seen as equal and legitimate. And those who stand against it. Those who refuse the kind of their work to conduct a civil <coughs> partnership. They're demoted from their job. Those who run a breakfast, a bed and breakfast. Because they won't give a room to two men who want to sleep together. They're taken to court. They're fined. And their business is destroyed. In other ways, and there's an outcry that is going up to the Lord from his church and his people. And we should make that outcry. And then we should have confidence that our God will hear that because he is the God who notes what happens in nations and communities. So Abraham discovers the will of the Lord. He, he hears that God is going to go down. God hasn't said anything about judgment. But notice how Abraham recognizes instinctively and immediately that's what is going to happen. You see, he knows the kind of place it is because he has rescued its king and he's been involved with its people in various ways and he lives close enough to know the kind of place it is and he knows that the Lord will not find righteousness there. So the friend of God discovers the will of the Lord. Not only for his own life and family, but has a knowledge of the will of God for the community, for the wider world. What God expects, what God requires. Now, how did Abraham know these things? Well, look at verse 17 and verse 20, which says, Then the Lord said. He knew these things because the Lord revealed them. And how do you and I as Christians know the will of God for our own lives and our families and our town and our cities and our nation? It's because the Lord reveals as well. Not some new revelation coming through some person today, but he reveals his will in his word, in the Bible. The word that the Lord spoke to Abraham 
and to Moses and David and Peter and Paul and John, uh, he has also caused to be written down so that this now is what the Lord has spoken. And so you and I, we are to continually take the scripture into our lives because this is how we know the will of God. At the very narrow level, when I've got to make decisions, and at the very broad level, when I live in a nation and I relate to wickedness that is around me. I don't do so in prejudice. I don't do so in a knee-jerk reaction. We do so on the basis of the word of the Lord. The friend of God keeps the way of the Lord. The friend of God discovers the will of the Lord. And then the third thing we want to see here this morning is the friend of God seeks the mercy of the Lord. He seeks the mercy of the Lord. How does Abraham respond to the discovery that he makes of the Lord's will? To the fact that the Lord is about to close the books, as it were, on Sodom and Gomorrah. His response is very, very challenging. He doesn't give a sigh of relief and say, Lord, it's long overdue. He isn't filled with smug self-satisfaction, the kind that we sometimes hear from Christians on radio or television or in articles that they write when it says, serve them right. They are getting what they deserve. He isn't filled with glee at the prospect. Now look at what happens, verse 22 and verse 23. The men turned away and went towards Sodom. And most of our translations say, Abraham remained or stood still before the Lord. That could also be translated, the Lord stood still before Abraham. In which case, verse 23 makes more sense. Then Abraham drew near to the Lord who stood still, to the Lord who didn't go down immediately to Sodom. The Lord, it seems here, is awaiting a response from Abraham. And he anticipates and he expects that his friend, Abraham, who lives in righteousness and justice, that this man is going to want to speak to him about the situation. And Abraham does. And what follows in verses 23 to 32 is one of the greatest prayers in Scripture. His response, Abraham's response, it's not to condemn, it's not to gloat, it's to pray. It's to pray. And to intercede with the Lord, knowing what this means for these people. 
Notice he draws near and intercedes not for his relative. Lot, the believer, is down there. But he never once mentions Lot. But four times he uses the phrase the righteous, verse 23, 24, 25, 28, and then I believe in verses 29 to 32, the phrase the righteous is implied. So eight times in effect I'm saying the focus is on the righteous. The focus is on men and women who like himself keep the way of the Lord doing righteousness and justice. And his prayer is built around that type of person in an ungodly environment. And so what is his prayer? Well, Abraham's praying and he's hoping that there will be at least 50 righteous, just, godly people in that ungodly environment. But in his prayer he recognises as he, as he prays and stands before the Lord that there could be as few as ten. He hopes there as many as fifty. But he recognises there could be as few as ten. And with great boldness Abraham prays here. We can't but be struck by his boldness. There's a phrase that comes out again and again um, and it's translated in the NIV as what if, in the, in the original it is, suppose, suppose. Verse 24, 28, 29 uh, and 30, 31, 32. This phrase comes again and again. He's approaching God with great boldness as he recognises in his own heart and mind what he knows of this city. There may not be 50, there may not be 40, there may not be 30, there may not be 20. There may only be 10. There's great boldness. But there's also great humility. Great humility in this prayer. Because look at verse 27. I am but dust and ashes. Verse 30. Oh, let the Lord not be angry, and I will speak. Verse 32. Oh, let the Lord not be angry, but let me speak just once more. Do you see the characteristic of this man's prayer as he intercedes for, for these cities in danger of perishing? He prays with great boldness on the one hand and with great humility on the other. Now what is Abraham asking for the righteous? Is he asking for their safety? Their deliverance? Well there is an aspect of that. And we've got to recognise that, verses 23 to 25. But I wouldn't want to suggest that is not his overriding concern. This man has a confidence, verses 23 to 25, that the judge of all the earth will do what is right. This God is a God of righteousness. This God is a God of justice. And he will do what is right. So what is his prayer then? His prayer is that as many as 50 righteous and as few as 10 godly persons in the city would be enough, enough to hold back the righteous, holy judgment 
of the Lord. Look at verse 24. And spare the place. Verse 26. The Lord says, I will spare the whole place of this 50. Then verse 28. The whole city. Verse 31. I will not destroy it, the Lord says. Verse 32. I will not destroy it. And say, I'll not destroy the righteous with the unrighteous. But he says, No, if there's as few as ten, if there are as many as fifty righteous people, I will spare the city because you have prayed for that city. And he's going to spare it. He finds that number. So that there's the opportunity, the further opportunity. For repentance. Abram's not bargaining with God here. Driving him down each successive time. Like you or I when we're buying a car. Or a piece of furniture. Abraham is the friend of God. He knows his God. And he knows how to pray with boldness and humility. For those you're in danger of hell. It should be a characteristic of Christians. It was a characteristic of the New Testament church. They prayed with boldness and with humility. And they witnessed with boldness and with humility. And as we see a world today and as we live in a nation today and in a town today and as we live, many of us in families today where there are ungodly persons who day by day provoke God. What would be our response? If the Lord was to come to you or to me and to say, I'm going to destroy this people. Would we plead with the Lord? Do we plead with the Lord? As Abraham did. With great boldness. And with deep humility. For the unsaved. In our families. Unsaved husband. Unsaved parents. Unsaved children. Unsaved neighbours. Is there anything of this boldness, holy boldness, and deep humility? The Lord has given us as a church many non-Christians to work with and to witness to. And we pray regularly for them. That's right. But it concerns me that we don't have a passionate intercession with the Lord for their salvation. I don't hear. And I, I know in myself I, I don't communicate that holy boldness and that deep humility that marked Abraham, the friend of God, Praying for people who in a second could be in judgment 
and in hell forever. Let's ask the Lord to make us like Abraham, his friend, to keep his way, to discover his will from the broad, the narrow to the broad, the personal to the national, and then seeking the mercy of the Lord. Again, from the personal level to the community level for those who do not believe and are not saved. Amen. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Our God and our Father in heaven, we thank you for your servant of old, whom you saved 4,000 years ago and brought to know you. And because he kept the way of the Lord, he continues to be known and honoured and loved today and the source of blessing because from him your son, the Christ, came. And in uh, and through the Christ all the nations of the earth are blessed. We come and we pray that you would help us to know what it means to be the friend of God. That we are to keep your way. We are to know your will. And we are to plead for your mercy. As we live in a world that is perishing. Lord give to us that holy boldness. And that deep humility of Abraham, the friend of God. As we too uh, pray for others in our families. Others in our community. Others in our town and in our nation. Lord, have mercy upon us. And we pray that you would bless us. That we might be a blessing to others. In Jesus' name. Amen. Of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, be with you all, now and forevermore. Amen.